meditation. 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 Depending on the quality of my mind. You know, there's good days and bad days. I mean, I feel like the waterfall of thoughts. Every now and then, a nice, calm. I can't think of anything. This is Meditation in the City. The Shambhala New York Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Meditation in the City podcast. My name is Francesca, and I'm your host. The title of this episode is Being Peace. In this episode, we discuss the peace that arises from meditation. What does it mean to change our relationship to painful situations in this age of increasing fear and aggression? This talk was recorded in 2015. Today we are joined by Laura Sims. Laura is an award-winning performer, writer, and educator, advocating storytelling as compassionate action for personal and community transformation. She performs worldwide, combining ancient myth and true life story for adult and family audiences. She's the artistic director of the Hans Christian Andersen Storytelling Center in New York and the founder of the Center for Engaged Storytelling. She's a member of the Therapeutic Arts Alliance of Manhattan and a senior teacher of Shambhala Buddhist meditation. Here's Laura to take away the discussion. The title that I chose for the talk is Being Peace. And when I chose the title, I had no idea um, how really poignant and potent that title would be for our um, world today. I mean, it has been for a long time, thousands of years, actually. But it seems like we've ratcheted up the extent of um, fear and bravado and aggression and speed. So this is, um, for me, a pleasure to share these teachings with you. And I was um, thinking earlier about one of the great stories from the Arabian Nights, and you have all these very long fairy tales, like over a thousand and one of them. But in between, sometimes even embedded inside the story with the character telling someone a story, are very tiny little tales. And being peace is um, actually about our nature. Peace is actually our nature. And another um, word for meditation is shine, which means peace. And so it is a kind of like renewable, a source of renewable energy <laughs> that's right inside of us. So I was thinking about this little story, and maybe you know it. It's about a man who lived in a small wooden house, And in front of the house was a garden, and there was one tree that grew in the middle of the garden, and he had a little sort of short wooden fence that surrounded the house and the garden. And he was very poor. And one night he had a dream that he walked across a bridge Um, very far away in a particular country, and there was a man at the end of the bridge who would tell him where he could find gold. And so at first he thought, like most of us, well, that's just a dream, and it's actually what I dream of dreaming. And finally, when he dreamed it so many times, he set off, leaving everything and finding that bridge in another place, 
And sure enough, there was a man standing at the end of the bridge, and he sort of fell into the man's arms to say to him, are you the one in my dream who is going to give me gold? And the man said, I don't have any gold. But you know, it's strange, I had a dream. And I didn't pay much heed to it, but it was a dream about um, a little wooden house, and in front of the house there was a garden, and there was a very small fence that went, a wooden fence that went around the garden, and a tree that grew in the middle of that garden, and underneath that tree was a huge um, box of gold. <laughs> And so the man rushed back home, got a shovel, and dug up the gold. So I think that's us. And every time we sit, we are again and again when we remember, or when it comes to us, letting our thoughts go and returning to our breath. And this sort of odd, repetitive, seemingly disarmingly simple technique is what we do and is our path, basically, to uncovering inherent gold, which is peaceful abiding. So I I will say a little bit about what peace is from this point of view, because very often we think of peace as a kind of perfect state in which there's no conflict and everything is okay. From the point of view of Buddhist practice, peace is not without pain and pleasure. And it is not without the chaos of our lives, everything is included. It's not about uncovering the answer to everything, and so therefore we are completely calm, perfect, and don't have any ripples on the water anymore, which very often we come for meditating because we hope that that's exactly what will happen because we're so sick and tired of the tyranny of our own mind and the disappointment or frustration of our lives and is that familiar to you? But actually once we begin to practice something far more profound takes place which is that peace is actually discovering that there is within us and actually ever present the space or a quality of presence or unconditional goodness or basic goodness that is the nature of our mind out of which the thoughts arise and disappear and rise up and disappear and take all kinds of shapes and meanings and hook us completely into um, a thousand desires and fantasies and wants and sources of celebration. But there is this quality that suddenly the more we keep letting go of the thoughts and return to our breath the more that it's there as if what is supporting us is a quality of 
being peace, which includes everything. And the difference is that what we're changing is not all the circumstances, but our relationship to the circumstances and how we are with ourselves and how we are in the world, how we function. We have, it's almost as if we have a home ground that allows us little by little to be able to experience our circumstances with the penetrating fullness of feeling pain and pleasure, but not getting so identified with it or glued to it or what in um, Tibetan is called shenpa. It's the glue of fixation in which we can't even, we can't see beyond the situation that we're stuck in. I know we all know what that's like. But what happens, the more that we sit, is that the grip or the sense of needing that grasping territory to make sure or validate that we are there and in control of our lives actually loosens up. And the liberation is not sort of never having a problem. It is the liberation of having the resource of space and intelligence to see the full picture of our situation with a certain kind of distance and intimacy so that we have the liberation is actually a choice. And the choice doesn't have to do with there are four little boxes on a, you know, an SAT exam and you pick out which one. The choice is whether we're going to get hooked into a reaction or throw ourselves into habitual um, storyline or projection or habitual understanding of a situation that separates us or if we're going to pause and in a sense go back to that non-territory of home to the sense of basic goodness which suddenly provides us with not only a sense of relaxation but insight or bigger vision that creates a much larger territory rather than the limiting territory of the attachment to what we think we need or what we've been taught. Now, it's not saying that those thoughts are not useful and sometimes extremely helpful and informative and sometimes very positive and useful. It is that even the very useful or positive thought, we can actually see it and its consequences and have access to our own feelings. So in a sense, what this 
non-grasping is allowing, is a kind of natural attunement to ourselves and our world, where instead of perceiving things through our thought, we actually begin to have a very direct experience of how we feel and even our habit that we can see. And the more we practice, we can see that it is a habit. Oh, that's interesting. That doesn't mean it's not annoying <laughs> or agonizing. But suddenly, we have that choice. So I'm going to just take a pause. So that's the ground. You could say that the mission possible of our practice is being in reality. And I, I think we're all very um, like hyper-aware because it's gotten so extreme, the whole sort of political process that we're aware of, of the consequences of projection, sort of mindless, unconscious, habitual, dissociated, and narcissistic projection. <laughs> I won't even say the name. <laughs> but um, we don't have to. And it's also, you know, it's almost like we could write a thank you letter. And that's the skill for me. You could say thank you. Because I didn't realize so clearly how harmful it is to completely glue, <laughs> glom onto unprocessed, unrealistic projection. So we have a, we have a very strong um, opportunity. And then there is the great compassion, because what kind of misery or starvation is behind something like that. So the ground is that our practice is giving us access, like the man in the story, to the gold that's in our own garden. And being peace is being present with whatever is happening. And being present with whatever is happening is an extraordinary um, harvesting of awareness. Our weapons, in a sense, to get there are mindfulness and compassion. And mindfulness opens up into awareness, which is, um, you know, like there we are sitting. What's our mindfulness in our practice is when... We remember that we're thinking. We're actually remember that we're on the cushion. <laughs> and then, oh, oh, back to the breath. Oh, yeah. Okay. 
that mindfulness. So that, that gives us the mindfulness in our everyday life to know that one foot is going after the other foot or that we actually are lifting up a cup of tea, et cetera, et cetera, all the way to the more sort of um, relational aspects of actually being in a conversation with someone and actually seeing them. That's the mindfulness. And mindfulness has a quality of, um, of focus. And that focus actually naturally opens and develops into awareness, which is discipline, natural discipline and precision, but it's not as focused as the mindfulness. There is a quality of opening up, and you begin to see the fullness of details. And it is kind of a moment-by-moment wakefulness, and the discipline is very precise, and it's natural. There's an effort in mindfulness, and it's where we start. It's why we return all the time to the cushion to practice. Is this helpful? And the compassion, actually... (laughs) Well, I'm talking to somebody. I get lost in my own thing here. Um, And the compassion, I mean, that starts really with um, self-care, with kindness to oneself, with becoming aware of how harsh we are to ourselves. And as we do that, we then, as we're practicing and opening up this territory of awareness, become more aware of the fact that someone else who is berating us or lost in whatever they're lost in is actually not being kind to themselves, beside maybe not being kind to you, but how could they be kind to you if they are not kind to themselves. So it opens up, it actually flowers into compassion, which doesn't mean that we lose our intelligence and may not condone behaviors that are harmful. But within that, there's a tremendous loving kindness, which is not idiotic. It's intelligence that allows us not to have to respond to the world with aggression, or proving a point, because there's something else that we know, which is that if we have basic goodness, so do they. And we may not be able to um, share it with them at that moment. But something else happens. We are infiltrated with space. We are a a Swiss cheese being. (laughs) We're not so solid anymore. And yet there's much more sense of relaxation and stability of mind but it's not thick in the same way. It's not gluey, which when you're practicing becomes overwhelmingly revolting. <laughs> you know, you can, we, there's always tendencies and there's always the return to our habits. <laughs> and the more you practice, you may not lose those habits, which would be great. <laughs> But when they rise up, we actually feel them, like, ew. (laughs) And then you get to love that ew, because it's so wakeful. It's like, oh, ha, thank you, there you are. And we become more and more familiar. So the path through this... um, Waking up process has a lot to do 
with becoming friends with painful situations and feeling the penetrating edge of our activities and our relationships and the consequences of what we do and the sort of self-torments um, that we very often engage in, almost forgetting that they're self-torments. They become like, um, you know, like children who have a blanket that they chew on and carry around. Those are our favorite um, sort of misery feasts that we often carry with us, forgetting. But the more we practice, suddenly, it's like really feeling what it is. With a great deal of kindness, because we're practicing, so there is this place out of which we are experiencing. And so that's why I'm calling it being peace. Not because suddenly we can sit in the midst of a, you know, a fire and have no reaction or not get up while because it's too hot. But um, <laughs> so blissful, this misery. But um, it's not, it's, um, it's actually feeling it. <laughs> But there is this space or intelligence of the mind. There is the basic goodness that allows us to feel it without diving into it, without using it like a weapon against ourselves or against others. There's something about the flexibility, the tenderness, the melting of that territory of defensiveness that allows us to feel what we're feeling. Because underneath that pain is our fears. And beginning, you know, in the Shambhala path, um, speaks, we speak a lot about fear and fearlessness and sort of making friends with the fear, which allows us to feel it, which allows us to be brave because we're not getting away from it or suppressing it. And so the lack of shenpa or the lack of glue allows us to feel the fear without the fear becoming um, paralyzing. And it opens up into tremendous sense of space, which at first is kind of alarming. <laughs> but becomes, when we become more familiar with it, the place where, in a sense, we are both vulnerable and most protected because we know what's going on. And we have the fullness of ourselves and our sensory response to the world. And so, because we're working and feeling our lives, we and having some sense of awareness of other, where we can actually sometimes just let go of our prefabricated assumption about somebody and just fresh, like reboot and freshly see them and hear them without, you know, their anger does not have to be our anger. Like that very tricky statement, you make me so angry. You know, we become a kind of disarmament zone <laughs> for ourselves. So it's possible in these times for us 
to first harvest this piece of ourselves, P-E-A-C-E, in ourselves, which becomes stronger, not thicker or more fixed, but stronger in that it is trustworthy. And we continue to practice because it helps us to actually experience that sense of groundlessness as awareness. And then we actually can be incredibly skillful and helpful to people. But without really becoming familiar with our own mind and with our own pains and our own habits and how we respond and also practice coming back, coming back over and over again, how can we be helpful to other people? So we're, we're practicing because we can have the full arsenal of our intelligence and skillful means, even discernment of when to walk away or to recover when something occurs. So that is the source. I think this peaceful abiding is the source and maybe the unrecognized path toward how we're going to change the world. I want to read you a quote from Trungpa Rinpoche in 1982 at Naropa, which is the Contemplative University in Boulder. I love getting old because I have to type everything because I can't really re read my handwriting anymore. And then I put on glasses, which gives me the um, appearance of intelligence. But did I write it down? What he said basically was, I am so desperate. Please. I am so desperate. We can help the world. We know the problem. We can do something. Let's do it properly. This was before he introduced Shambhala. And um, I think he meant it. <laughs> and I think that desperation, it's like the beauty of desperation, where you feel thoroughly the situation that we're in if we don't take advantage of who we actually are. And there's not a single one of us doesn't matter how educated we are or where we come from, who doesn't, whose basic nature is not peace or goodness and goodness. We might have all kinds of ideas of what we think peace and goodness is, 
So part of this path and part of what Trungpa Rinpoche and now the Sakyang has done is kind of reinvest language so that we, we live in the vibration and feeling of language so that language is alive between us. And when we say a word, like when he says, I am desperate, please, he's not speaking from a victim or... Um, He's speaking from the nobility of knowing that we can do this. And that's why I love that we all show up here on Tuesday nights. Because it is actually, it is this in, invisible dynamite. You know, there's thousands of solutions and uh, huge systems of how we're going to do this and that. And then there's this outrageous quality of more and more of us actually meditating. So meditation, you know, there are no guarantees. But there are some qualities of mind that are um, aroused. And one of them is um, kindness, generosity, um, and a tremendous amount of humor, because once you have space and we can see ourselves, it's not that we don't fall into those places or feel the sorrow, but sometimes we can laugh about it. It's, it is our hobby horse. And that's who we are. That's part of our whole um, learned personality. And we probably will continue to have those thoughts. Like sometimes during the day, I'm suddenly aware of how outlandishly critical I am of certain things. And it's all very couched in, in some very you know, nice language, but it's really going off in my mind. And it's hilarious, really. Because first of all, it's an utter waste of time. It has nothing to do with anybody. And it just keeps me um, sort of separate, like my own sort of like, um, you know, reality show, <laughs> which appears to be so real, although you know that there are cameras and little houses with people giving you food and all these things while you are walking over snakes or whatever you're doing. But <laughs> we're like that. <laughs> anyway... <clears throat> So the, what is the fruition of being peace? <laughs> One of the other qualities is being genuine. And being, remembering to be present for ourselves and to be present for others. I mean, really... Are we communicating if we're sitting next to each other and sending a text to that person? Isn't that hilarious? Like, what is that? So being peace is actually smelling and feeling and being aware of the vibrational quality that exists between us. There are these great stories about Hopi elders sitting down to solve a problem with someone who came from like an oil company, and the guy has lots of PowerPoints and all of his um, you know 
information and goes in the room and makes this long speech and data and everything else, and then the, these old guys sit around. And they don't say anything. And then one person says a little piece of a story, and someone else says some random bit of something about them, and then they get up to leave. And he says, wait, we didn't, we didn't decide. And they said, yeah, we, we did. That we, we decided. <laughs> because they were listening and communicating at a whole other level of being. And that's, I think, we're becoming Hopi. <laughs> we're becoming bicultural. We're becoming able to feel and be in the world at, a, at another way at this way that we've sort of forgotten. And we can still use our cell phones and all of that. And I can text my son in Mauritania. <laughs> but if he's in the room with me, I want to watch the way his skin moves. So, being peace. I tried to, this is number three, which has four pages, and then I tried to make it in one page. And then I believe in improvising. So that, like a Maori, you stand on your feet and you speak directly to who is there. So we are in this together. We can do this because of practice. We become intimate with our pain. And what begins to dissolve is our wall of defense. We're learning not to run away. And the fruition is being kind to ourselves. And being kind to ourselves is being kind to others. And what is being kind to ourselves is constantly returning to reality, to being in the world with presence. So being peace is how in any situation we begin to act with skill and compassion. And we change ourselves and change others, not in how we would like it to be, but by actually harvesting the basic goodness that is there in others. And sometimes it is doing very little, just not reacting. And sometimes it is seeing the situation fully and the consequences and being able to say something in such a way that pulls back all the projections and all the plans and allows people to just for a second really be together. And from there, we begin to build 
in enlightened society. And this doesn't happen overnight. So I'm, I'm not going to say anything more. I think it's about learning not to run away. And we have a thousand ways to run away. A thousand ways to fool ourselves and to heighten our sense of shame or frustration. And it's true that we're always looking to find out why and how. But then there is this amazing, daring quality of just right on the spot, just pausing, coming back, and looking out again. and letting go. In a very personal um, sense, there are things that I realize over the years that as much as I'm letting go and practicing, there are certain treasured <laughs> grievances that I've held on to for so long. And preparing this talk, suddenly, one flamboyant one rose up. And then I thought, and you know, and I wanted just to put it in its own category, like this would have nothing to do with it. And then I thought, what if I just let it go? Does that mean that there will be injustice in the world? Does that mean that my anger and refusal to look at them has changed them? They've gone on with their life. <laughs> I have no idea of this thing that I'm holding on to. Well, we can really escalate that out into the whole world. So what if each one of us is doing that? <laughs> How many times have I said, well, they don't know me in the present. They're still holding on to that, as if I wasn't. So here's how we begin, I think. And that is the absolute richness of this journey once we start to practice. And we actually don't know what effect it will have. And some of the small things that we shift or change, like the moth <laughs> that causes a windstorm on the other side of the world. So, I've only been practicing for 38 years. <laughs> and I say only because I often, I always feel like I'm beginning again. And um, I said there was a lot of humor and humility, actually. <laughs> but I think this isn't as... Um, 
Like, you can't necessarily write books about this or, you know, the seven ways we're going to change the world or so forth and so on because it is quite alchemical. So, any questions? You mentioned the concept of running away and lately I've had a lot of time with myself and have started to notice almost a compulsion to busy myself and started to question sort of what that's about. Am I really trying to do something? Or am I just trying to distract myself or run away, right? So once a person has gotten to that point of sort of questioning, then what? Right? <laughs> when I'm bored, then what? Do you know what I mean? Mm. Well, how long have you ever stayed with your boredom? Probably not long, right? I mean, there's an instant impulse to do something. Yeah, so that moment that you're questioning and that moment in that title for boredom, <laughs> that's an interesting place to observe and to stay. In um, Shantideva has a practice. Shantideva was a ninth century great bodhisattva who um, wrote about the Mahayana or um, path of compassion. And one of the great practices he um, propagated was called staying like a log or laying like a log, which is that when you ask that question, instead of um, searching for an answer or um, saying, oh, God, now I'm bored, just um, take the idea of boredom, even the question, and just stay with the feeling. Because, it, you know, this is a very deeply personal path. So no one can tell you. But how fantastic to have the question. How fantastic to notice. That's it. And then how hilarious that we instantly want to fill it in. But we do. And it's not like that's wrong, but our relationship to the filling it in could either be actually being present doing something, or the running away quality of losing ourselves again. But the way we strengthen and deepen is by staying with it. And we have this idea of boredom. Maybe boredom is a great wealth untapped. And what is intolerable about boredom? Only we can find that out. Why? Maybe there's something underneath that the boredom is a threshold and underneath is that gold. 
like an aquifer of being present. So, you know, it's, that's, that's the nature of this practice. And in a way, it's, it's confusing at first because we're going against the grain of how we have tried to validate our every moment by understanding it. Sometimes something happens, and before it's even over, it's, I got it. I got I Yeah, I understand. I got it. You don't have to say anything. You got it. <laughs> what did you get? <laughs> Usually, it's that I have now... Um, brought up something that I already know, I've referred to it, I've made the comparison to it, and I'm completely comfortable, you can like stop right there. <laughs> I know these well, not because of other people's activities. <laughs> but it is, a, but it is a, it's not a, it, this is, there's a difference between self-observation and staying with and indulgence. kind of busyness is a lack of imagination. And imagination is not creating fantasies. Imagination is that quality of the mind less fixed that feels the world and things arise. So stay, stay with it. Shingo Rinpoche once said something really shocking to someone who asked a question like that. And he could do that. He said, just keep grinding it out. <laughs> but um, <laughs> I can't say that. So laying like a log. Like, you know, fear arises, or a, a really hard one is um, anger, because... When anger rises up, it's sometimes it's, you know, there's the minor angers. I'm really, I'm angry. I can catch that one. And then there's like a whoo, like a fire. And you just know that if I really give way, I mean, I'm, I'm capable of any violence. But to actually, like, be aware of it, like, whoa. And feel the brilliant warmth and energy of it, rather than turning it into a story in which I want to get rid of it by turning it into a story of blaming someone else or um, putting on a hair shirt. So what happens if we get to know our, the energy? And, but the reason why we practice is because it is that territory of stability of mind that allows us to contain it without falling back into the habits that are, that are harmful. And one of the reasons why we practice together or have friends who are in the Dharma is because it can help support us with that. And so I'm not talking about severe psychological um, states of mind. I'm talking about our outrageous, flaming emotions. <laughs> because I don't want anybody to think that can throw away your medication or the help that you might have. <laughs> no, these things have happened in the past and they're really, it's important for us to be intelligent and pay attention to ourselves and others. 
Is that helpful? It's like staying with it. What, what is it? What does it feel like? Where is boredom? Take an interest in boredom. Be curious about boredom. Hi. So I think something that I am curious about is that a lot of things that arise um, when I think about compassion, um, I also think about justice and fairness. Um, and I feel that a lot of anger and fire that I have um, comes from wanting the world to be a more just and fair place. Um, so when I'm contemplating embracing, I guess, the world as it is or making space for things as they are, a piece of me is very resistant to accepting, um, like, you know, I don't know, like structures of racism or, you know, that's where my head is. And I find that when I sit, I know that there's overlap in sitting and finding compassion for the self and compassion for others, but I find a part of me resists that too. Like I want to fight. A part of me wants to fight. Um, and that, and you know, it's anger, that's fire. And I don't, I'm just curious about what. Well, I think it's been interesting um, of self investigation to know the difference between passion and skillful means and aggression. Because the, um, obviously, compassion doesn't mean that we condone injustice or harm. But what is the difference between our own aggression that could further add logs to the fire of aggression and become our own injustice? And what is the, how do we develop the skillful means to be able to work with situations or not fall into utter despair in situations so that we can't we get burned out or we can't function or we demand that a situation be the way we want it because it is so deeply uncomfortable and aggravating. So that's where the self, the practice can be really helpful so that the language of us against them may appear to be really, um, make us feel stronger but it may not be the most skillful way to shift things in the world. And at some point, we have to say, what is really at stake? Is it my being right or my working with situations so that I keep uncovering basic goodness or engage people in a conversation in which they actually themselves see the harm that they might be causing. But then I'm also having to look at what are the consequences of my own aggression in those situations? My son told me an interesting story today of giving, being on a panel with a, with a scholar. My, my son was in a war in Sierra Leone and um, 
was a child soldier. And so he was asked to be on a panel about war. And there's a man who was on the panel who has written many, many books on war, and he said, I'm an expert in everything about war. And he went on to talk about his research and his studies, and, and then Ishmael said, well, so he said, at first I was so annoyed, and I thought of some smart-ass thing to say. But then I asked him, I said, you know, when it became his turn, I, I said, I, I would like to ask Professor So-and-so a question. Have you ever been in a war? And then he said, I didn't say anything because then I let him keep talking and it became obvious to him and to the audience. And I thought that, that was a kind of um, being peace where the guy just suddenly, you could see, he said, you could see it happen where he realized how absurd that was. <laughs> so I think that's the, that's the level of, you know, but we need some um, strength of mind. And we need to practice in a sense, not because we're so weak and idiotic that we have to do this over and over and over again. But, but because we're not working on it, like progressively getting better and, or getting an A in peaceful abiding, it's that we have to keep becoming more and more familiar and have the place out of which we do this observation. Like, you can hear that. But if you were a really defensive person, you might have gotten up and walked out. So it's about how, you know, and it's, it's then... It's your intelligence is useful. Your feeling of passionate outrage, your compassion is useful. But what we do with it and how we're doing it becomes a whole other adventure. So I, I don't know, is that interesting? Because really, then it's like us and them in the environmental movement, us and them. And we become them, and they become us, and it's just... So what is the, you know, and, and skillful means depends on each individual. It's each person who comes up with the way to be, which is natural. You harvest the natural quality, like your intense passion. Someone else might feel very differently about something or get stuck in it in a different way. So who we never throw anything away. Don't throw away the baby and the bathwater. But we're applying awareness. We're able to observe because there is space. Because we, we have a lot to do. <laughs> so I think we have to also we have to have a reception. But thank you very much. I, I hope that um, I hope that it's helpful and you know provocative for reflecting and also inspiring, understanding a little more about the role of our practice and how we live in the world. And um, obviously. Any mistakes I made are not my teachers, but my own. <laughs>
So um, thank you very much.